What's up, everyone? I hope you're doing fantastically well today. This is Rafael Garcia on Thursday, July 30th. It's been a little while, but we're back for the first time once again for episode four of the MMA rating interview series. And I would also like everyone to know that this is the first time I got the episode number right without having to look. So it is episode four. And with that in mind, I have a special guest with me today. Her name is Gina, and she is the co-host of the Wocast. You may know her from MMA Twitter as G-Spot MMA. And I wanted to say hello. Thank you for having us on or for joining me on the show today. Oh, thank you. Hopefully the listeners don't hear the sirens in Brooklyn because they're uh, lighting up the show. But thank you for having me so much. Listen, if the sirens in the background, as long as they're not coming for you, it's all good. Because if they're coming for you, I'm going to act like I didn't know anything. That, 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 oh, it. no, I'm out of here. You know, interview <laughs> over. If they're coming for me, I'm out. <laughs> well, thank you for um, jumping on with me today. I really appreciate that. And as we do these episodes and as we do these interviews, I always like to start in the same place. We're finding out where the person I'm talking to, how did you get involved with, with MMA? About how long ago was it? How did you um, fall in love with the sport? Let's start there. Why don't you tell me that story? Um, I believe I fell in love with one of the tough series. It might've been the very first one. I've been watching so long. I can't even remember when I started. Um, it might've been the tough series with Diego Sanchez and I just got intrigued. I was like, what the hell's going on in this house? And then there was so much rivalry and I was like, oh my God, they get to beat each other up at the end. You know, like they get to live in this house, be angry with each other, and then they get to fight. I'm all in. And then from that day on, I've been watching since 2020 and, and talking to you right now. I'm hooked. So were you like flipping through the channels and you just happened to come across it one night? Or was yep. it like you knew someone who was already watching you or something nope. like that? Nope. It's literally what you said. I was flipping through the channels and I saw like aggressive, you know, two guys. I can't remember who it was, like two men in their face. And when I realized that these men that had some type of rivalry were going to be able to fight in a sanctioned fight, that drew me in, like the drama and then the sanctioned fight. Like, OK, these guys hate each other, but they get to fight at the end. And I was just like, oh, my God, the story sold me and I was in. And it's literally flipping channels because I have no friends that are into MMA in my personal life, except for the ones I made online. So that's pretty interesting because you're actually the first person I know or talk to that has been brought in that way. Do you still watch Tough? And like, when's the last season you sat and watched the whole, the whole season? Child, I dumped ch- Tough um, <laughs> years ago. Um, I can't take the redundancy of Tough. Although it drew me in, which is shocking because Tough is kind of like... <laughs> you know, tough, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I don't watch it anymore. It's too redundant. I don't care for the fighters challenge it, the storyline, you know, somebody goes home, somebody's a drunk, somebody it's every season. And I also don't like the quality of the fighting. Sometimes, sometimes I'm just like, this fight legit sucks. I don't care <laughs> about this fight. They're a little amateurish sometimes. So I've lost interest in it. And I would say the last season that I watched, might have been tough. I might have been with Kimbo Slice, maybe. Oh, that was a long time ago. Yeah, I've, I've, I've uh, although I fell in love with it as an intro to MMA, I fell out of love with the redundancy of it. Okay, so this is the last tough question because I don't, I don't watch. No, no, it's fine. Ask away. I don't, I don't watch. T- I haven't, man, I haven't watched tough probably since the Kimbo, or maybe either the Kimbo or the Koshchek GSP season. What oh, wow. is your favorite? tough moment if you can if you can only pick one what's your favorite tough moment my favorite tough moment um 
it's really minute, but it's not really a moment. I, um, oh, I take that back. I, I, I'm unsure if the Ronda Rousey season is before or after um, Kimbo Slice, but I just found that Ronda Rousey's behavior during that whole um, season was eye-opening. Like when she stepped to like one of her competitors and when she was kind of bullying Misha Tate, that was really eye-opening to me and I'll never forget it. I, I literally thought, I thought Ronda was like this really nice person. And when I watched Tough, I realized, oh, like this is not like the nice person that I thought she was, unfortunately. So that was the most profound moment for me is that it opened my eyes to maybe that Ronda had a little bit of a chip on her shoulder as I was falling in love with her, you know? Yeah, that's pretty interesting. A lot of people talk about that season being the season where her, I don't say personality, like her persona really changed. It went from that, I hate to say the girl next door, but it went from that to yes. where people were like, yeah, she might, she might be a little bit of a jerk. But, yeah, that, you know. that's what happened to me. I was like, my God, she's like in a guy's face. Like she's confronting a guy's face. She has like her little sidekick friends and they're literally bullying the other girls. And then Misha Tate is trying to be as polite as possible. And she can't even do a damn challenge without Rhonda on her back. And I'm just like, I get that Rhonda's competitive, but this is borderline you're being kind of mean, sis. And I was shocked because I, I did not have that interpretation of her. You know, it is what it is, though. It makes for interesting TV, you know? It really does. It really yeah. does. And does. let's talk about a couple, of things, a couple of different points of when you first got involved with MMA. Have you tried to convert any of your friends over the MMA since you kind of stumbled upon yourself? Have you tried and been successful in trying to convert anyone into an MMA fan? I convert almost a lot of people around me. I convert people all the time. Like, it's weird. I have a coworker that is like hella into MMA because I'm always in the office editing, watching fight footage. And he's a guy, he's, he's into sports. And he's just like, what the hell are you into? Now he's calling me about Usman and Masvidal. And when I was in DC, when I lived there for 18 years, I finally got my friends who don't watch MMA to go to an MMA fight. And even though they didn't watch it, they had the time of their lives. And now, like, when I go to MMA fights, it becomes like a girl trip. Like, the girls want to come just to see an MMA fight. So it's so weird. My friends will not watch it on TV unless it's, like, a fight party or something. But if I say I'm getting tickets to a fight because they love the ambiance, they will go. And that makes me so proud. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm impressed by that. I think I've converted one friend in the whole time I've, I've, I've been watching this stuff. So I'm pretty impressed with that. Uh, I got to give tip my hat to you. Oh, I, I couldn't believe it myself. I have like literal homegirls that think the sport is way too violent. But when the fighters walk out live, that experience is enough for them to be like, girl, when's the next fight? You know, <laughs> that's pretty interesting. I can appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. What is your fondest memory, uh, MMA memory to date? Um, when you think about the sport and just the moments you've had watching it, what's the one that stands out? to you the most? Wow, there's so many. Let's see if I can think of one off the top of my head. I found the, um, the Holly Holm head kick uh, rocked my world. I, I, I was a believer in Ronda Rousey, regardless of whether I liked her personality or not. I thought that Ronda was going to run through her like butter like the rest of her opponents. So to see not only Holly Holm head kick her to another planet, but to see how Holly toyed with her and the slips and, and just she made Rhonda look like an amateur. And this was a woman that we had on a pedestal. We thought, you know, she was being referred to as Mike Tyson. And for Holly to come out of there and, and slip the way that she did and then to throw up that leg kick and to position her perfectly for that leg kick, 
it was pretty astounding to me. And I will say when she landed the head kick, I screamed and I ran around my couch in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, like 50 times as fast as I could. It was the craziest reaction, but I'll never forget it. Raphael, what's yours? What is mine? Um, hmm. I, I will say the one moment that really stood out to me was when Josh Koshtek and GSP fought. And I've been watching MMA since, like, I, it's, it's a weird story. I kind of stumbled upon it when, like, UFC 2 by accident. That's a whole other story for another day. Ooh. But the um, the Josh Koshtek GSP fight, because I was watching it with a bunch of people that I actually trained with at the time, and I was the only person in the room cheering for Koshtek. And the amount of like shit they were giving me from start yeah. to finish. It was pretty bad. <laughs> and I yeah. deserved it. I get it. Cause Kasha no, was, he, he was that bad guy, you, but yeah. Confession, Raphael. I don't think you deserved it. I was a Kostek fan my entire like time that I've watched MMA. I was like you, I was the person that actually liked the heel because it was authentic. He drew me in and then on top of it, he could back it up. So I was I like Josh Koscheck. I still kind of do when people clown him and stuff. I'm like he was a gem when he was on top of things and being a jerk. So you know, I don't, don't know feel bad. if you tweeted it out the other day. Uh, if it was you or someone else, I saw. But did you see people were joking about the the comparison between Kobe Covington and and Josh Koscheck? Did you see this? No, I missed that. I would have loved that. So basically, they're saying they're they're trying to make the comparison that. Koscheck was was as much of a jerk as Kobe Covington is currently, and people were blowing it up out the water like this isn't true. Koscheck, what Kobe Covington is putting up an act, like he know everyone knows that he's putting up an act mm-hmm. trying to make money just to make money by doing whatever he can, latching on a Trump, right. latching on a MAGA. Josh Koscheck was a, like a douchebag's douchebag just because yep. he he was, mm-hmm. and he probably still is to this day. And I think that that's the biggest comparison between the biggest difference between the two, where. Kasha could be working at a Starbucks down the street and he would and be he'd still be a dick. Yeah. And he'd still be a dick. <laughs> yeah. And it would be nothing nobody could do about it. And it was and he was a dick from top to bottom, from that haircut to the facial expressions to his post fight interviews to like he was disliked by other fighters. He was hated by the fans. It was not an act and he didn't have to weaponize shit. He just showed up. And as a fight fan, I enjoyed that facet of MMA. I like that we had an authentic bad guy. The MAGA thing with Colby, it just makes me feel like you're just doing this because it, it helps you get fights booked. You know, right now we're in an era where um, fight promotion is very important. So that's something that Colby has to do. But I will say because it's inauthentic, I cannot grasp it. And he's also weaponizing politics, which just isn't my favorite thing to do, especially right now with the world being so divisive. But I do appreciate Josh Koscheck, the way he went about it. Yeah, he's definitely somebody I uh, mm-hmm. appreciate as well. You and saw he could you, fight too. You kind of miss him you know, the way he got his 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 ass handed to him a couple times on the way out of the sport. But I mean, everybody mm-hmm. has their day, right? Yeah, but, and he could fight. When it comes down to it, Raphael, we watch these people because they're talented fighters, and he wasn't bad, man. He's got he some knockout. Yeah, but go ahead. I keep cutting you off. No, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. I'm, I'm, I enjoy the conversation. Let's talk about the media aspect of what you do, because mm-hmm. as I've mentioned, this show, I really want to focus on the people who are behind the scenes. Um, we've talked to a photographer, Fernanda Pro- uh, Process, Trent Ray, oh, Green I Smith, love her. Yeah. a couple other people. And from a media aspect of it, when did you make the transition from being a fan to someone who talked about the sport in the way we do now? Um. I'm going to be honest with you. I have been tweeting like an incel for quite a while. And 
I guess I make people laugh and I also get involved in a lot of drama and, and, and just a bunch of shit on Twitter while giving MMA takes. And I've been watching for quite a while. So I have a way of mixing up my humor and also like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a troll a little bit. I'm a little offensive. Like I use a lot of hype, um, hyperbole when I tweet, but at the same time, I feel like I kind of know my stuff because I've been watching for a long time. So you mix up the humor, the hyperbole and the stuff that I'm saying. And I got a lot of attention on MMA Twitter and um, Michael Morgan from Woe TV noticed the traction I was getting on Twitter. And he simply invited me to be a, um, a guest on his show, like what you're doing now. I must have knocked it out the box because Michael, after the show, was like, would you like to be like my co-host every week? I am loving this, your energy and yada, yada, and you're funny. And I was like, okay. And merely because now I have someone to talk to on a regular basis about MMA and someone that is just as savvy as me. And then from there, as I kept podcasting it and doing more podcast research and getting into the sport... I on occasion get MMA media passes. So now I'm I'm doing media, now I'm taking pictures, now I'm doing film, now I'm editing, and then now I'm also interviewing fighters. So now it's a whole different ball game. So I'm loving every minute of this journey too. So it, it's it's great, Raphael. So let's let's dive into that a little bit. When you mentioned your your covering events doing photography, what are some of the notable events what you've shot so far, if you can think of any? Uh, my favorite was uh, the BMF um, UFC 244. That was my favorite event because, one, it was my first event. I met also another journalist that I now podcast and work with on a regular basis. And the reason why I met him is because he was so warm. And his name is Chisanga Malata, and now we podcast together. So I met my first MMA media friend. He took me in. And then not only that, the event was so electrifying because of that added BMF, you know, you know, like that BMF stuff. We loved it. We ate it up. Imagine being backstage. Imagine being in a room and Masvidal walks in in colorful clothing and now the whole room changes and it's electrifying. And now you're fighting with other journalists and that other journalist being Luke Thomas is right next to you trying to get to interview Masvidal. I mean, it was it was just I felt like a fan, but had to act like. I was working. Like I wanted to run up to Luke Thomas and be like, you called me a moron online and I deserved it. And I'm glad you didn't block me. What's up, bro? I want to talk to you, but I couldn't. I had to not be a bird and act like I'm working here. <laughs> so I will never forget that event. It was so much fun. I can appreciate that. I, um, I, I You can hear the, uh, what's the word? You can hear the excitement in your voice. You can definitely oh, yeah. tell that, that you're very passionate about the sport. Who are some of the fighters you've had the opportunity to do an interview with? Oh, man. Um, let's see. I, I interviewed Gregor Gillespie, and um, best part about that is that I forgot to hit record. And um, that has happened a few times with me. So it's like I thought I had this bomb-ass interview with Gregor. And, and in this interview, we were the first people, the woke cast, to get him to talk about politics. And he came out as a Trump supporter. And that was pr kind of pretty cool, even though it's, you know, it's not breaking news. But Gregor Gillespie, um, let's see... Luke Vicente, Dan Hardy, um, a whole bunch. I'm, I'm like, I've spoken to so many. Johnny Walker's cool. Uh, Phil Davis from Bellator was one of the nicest people I spoke to. Didn't even record him. We just chatted. There's, bro, there's so many. Rob Font is a, is a sweetheart. Um, Tiago Santos, he's like a 
big guy. Like when he walks in the room, he has presence. And then when you speak to him, he's a teddy bear. I, I remember being like, my God, this man is so sweet. But I could go on and on, Raphael. I've, I've met so many and they're so down to earth. It's, it's amazing. Who are some of the ones that are on your interview hit list? Like some names that jump out to you, like, yo, I got to get this person. I get that person. Oh my God. Uh, well, Angela Hill was on that hit list and we nailed that one. That was somebody that I really, really wanted to talk to. I want to get like some heavy hitters on, on the WOCast. I'd love to talk to Usman. I'd love to figure out like, how does he feel about people saying he's boring? Like, how does he feel about like half this community of being like, ah, I would, I would love for someone else to be champion. I, I would love to know the toll that takes on a fighter. Usman is on my list. I'd love to get into Masvidal's head a bit more about his Trump support. As you can see, my interview style is more personal rather than the, what got you into fighting? You know, like, so I'm not really into those types of questions. So there's, there's a whole bunch, you know, I'd to love be to be honest. Those, I'd also so love to, to talk to like the Diaz brothers, but the one time I did try to like talk to him at the UFC 244, he like didn't understand my question and went on a rant and it went kind of viral. It was, it was you know, it was, I had asked him about, you know, his children and, and being a fighter and he kind of like lost it. And I'd love to talk to him again, but more one-on-one, -on -one, you know, I think he has a fascinating mind, but he's kind of all over the place, but. Go ahead, Raphael. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was going to ask, what, because those are the types of questions that are missing from MMA mm -hmm. as a whole. I feel like the MMA media space isn't mature enough for those questions. And what I mean by that are there aren't a lot of, of individuals who can do those types of interviews in positive ways. Like, for example, you were talking about the Platinum Princess um, situation on the show that I think it came out today or yesterday. That's and good. She said she wanted to go on either Joe Rogan or Elio Helwani, and in my opinion, neither one of those two guys are the type of guys that can do that type of, of conversation. Mm -hmm. And MMA as a whole doesn't necessarily have the ability to ask those types of personal questions. So talk to me about that. Mm -hmm. When you talk to fighters and you ask those personal questions, things that don't necessarily have to do with the typical jock, how do you like punch people in the face type of questions? What type of type of response do they give you? Um, I noticed that they they like those questions. That's first and foremost, because the funny thing is, Raphael, when you stop recording and you have that after I'm sure you've experienced this, you know, when you stop recording, you turn off Skype and you guys actually just have like a goodbye conversation. Oh, thank you for having me. Ba -ba -ba -ba. They actually thank me for being like, thank you for not asking those typical questions. I haven't had one person on the WOCast that I interviewed along with Michael say, um, Thank you for asking the questions that are always, they're tired. They are tired of asking about fight camp. They are tired of like, you know, oh, what's your favorite cheat meal? Everyone is asking those questions. And Raphael, let me tell you, when I stood in line at media event, because, you know, when you do media, you literally wait in line. A fighter sits in a chair and his name is by a billboard, you know, like almost like a billboard or whatever. And you wait in line to interview him with your equipment. And that's what I did. I heard media people ask the same fucking question over and over and over again. So by the time I got up, I was like, I'm not asking about fight camp. I don't give a fuck. The man's in shape, obviously. He's, he has a fight tomorrow. I'm gonna ask him like, what's the craziest fan experience have you ever had? Has anybody held you too close in the tight? And you'll notice that fighters like laugh and they're like, oh yeah, I remember this one time I had a lady and they just open up and they relax because they're like, oh, this is cool, something different. 
For example, I asked Kevin Lee, what's it like being a black fighter? Because I'm black and sometimes like that plays a huge role in whatever I'm doing. It can affect me at work. I might have a racist boss, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, does that happen in the UFC? Do you feel like you have to work twice as hard? When I asked him that, he just got open and just had a free for all. And I loved it. But when you ask about fight cam and shit, they're just like robots, yada, 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 yada. I don't care for that, Raphael. That's very good. I love that. Uh, and you brought something up that I had in, my, had in the back of my mind. And I had in my um, list of questions anyway, but I want to ask you. Mm-hmm. There are very few African-Americans that watch, and I, I feel like watching it evolve with MMA as a whole. Not, you know, you know, we can't compare it to boxing. NBA is coming back tonight. We can't compare it to our participation in that. Not even baseball, in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. What has your experience been like as a Black woman in this MMA space? Because it's even smaller. It's, it's like... I think there are there are three or four black women that are on the UFC roster. Period. Now, right, and I, one of those is, uh, one is biracial. What is mm-hmm. it like as being a, a black woman in a space where there's so few of us? Um, I often feel alienated by fans or the the organization because I just feel like I'm just like I'm here with everybody but I'm the person that looks different and is not the typical fan and my mentions often reflect that my mentions are often full of like a reminder that I'm not the typical fan you know there's a lot of racial slurs there's a lot of oh my god you know and it's just a, it's it's interesting but what I do is ignore all of that. I will never change. I will always have takes. I will always make jokes. I will always push the envelope when it comes to race and talking about difficult things if those topics hit our sport. Like for example, you brought up um Platinum Princess. I use that as a way to discuss um giving victims a voice because it it occurred in our sport. It's a topic that came up because you know, domestic violence. So I use that to like, now let's talk about domestic violence because it's affecting our sport. A lot of people don't want to go down that route. And I don't really care that people are uncomfortable with, with my way of interviewing or wanting to talk about those topics. And I think it's perfect for a woman that looks like me, that is from a marginalized group and looks like she's from one to push that envelope. And I, I proudly do it. I don't care if I stand alone. Your your Facebook uh, header image of Dame Lillard is perfect for how you just described how you interact with, with MMA Twitter. I saw that today and I just kind of laughed to myself because it, it's a perfect embodiment of almost how you got to work with those, work with the shenanigans that you get within that space. Let me yeah, ask you this. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you literally have to take those shenanigans and make it work for you. So like if somebody calls me a, a dyke in my mentions... You know, I might retweet to comment to bring awareness that's, you know, about homophobia and also the fact that, like, is this how we act online, cyberbullying and whatnot? And just like I try to bring awareness to things like that. But what people think that I'm doing is race baiting or just trying to push the envelope. But I am pushing an envelope. I'm trying to get people in this community to talk about the issues that affect marginalized groups, because I do feel like this fan base ignores the fact that there's other people that love and watch the sport besides a white male. And I'm the person that's like, hey, hey, we're, we, we watch this sport, too, and we want to be included. But go ahead. No, uh, I was just going to ask, what is the most ass-backwards interaction you've had with someone on MMA Twitter? 
Um, I, that actually just happened recently and why I went on a rant on my own show about the Platinum Princess and her wanting to speak to Ariel Helwani and um, Joe Rogan. I, uh, I was very dismayed to see the reaction of people seeing a video of a violent man that is being violent at a restaurant with his new girlfriend. And when his ex-girlfriend, his ex-wife, excuse me, wants to discuss it, I simply did not understand how the community was defending him when we all watched the video and we all read the article about the Texas Police Department saying that he is an abuser. So if his ex-wife wants to discuss it, why is everybody upset? And it got to me because I've said to myself, if I was ever abused or anything like that, or if I wanted to come out and share my story, the own community that I love and and interact with would be like, that bitch is lying, just like they did her. So it broke my heart a little bit, but thank God for the podcast, because I let it all out in that segment. So, but that, that, the, the, how do I say, the way in which this community frowns upon women and and victims and and marginalized groups kind of sometimes gets to me. I can definitely feel that coming through. And you, I think on, on the same show where you talked about the platinum person situation, you talked about not watching other sports. Did you ever try to get involved in, in other sports or watch other sports and just never kind of clicked with you? Tell me about that. When I was a kid, I watched other sports. I've been watching sports since I was a kid. But once MMA, I found MMA, I dropped everything. That's the best part. I used to watch college basketball and do the tournaments and the brackets. I used to watch the NBA. Because I grew up in a, in a household where I played sports my whole life and I have an older brother. So sports is a huge part of my life. And I also do watch another sport. I like World Cup, but it only comes around four years. Once World Cup comes on, it's just as serious to me. Like, I don't even be knowing some of the people on the team, but I love football. You know, so I, World Cup comes around, I'll leave this country and go watch it in another country. I, I like to, like, travel during World Cup. I'll go to Europe and watch World Cup in the diner in Amsterdam like I did last time. So I do watch other sports, but MMA is, is number one. What about you? You watch other sports? I um yeah, I am way too excited about the NBA getting started back tonight. Um, really? I try to watch everything. I used to work at work for um, ESPN a few years back, so I kind of got involved. I'm, I'm I watch just about anything except for except for maybe golf. I can catch. I can sit down and watch just about anything. So yeah. Oh, interesting. That's pretty cool. I've never even watched golf before. And then I, I can watch anything probably except football. Like I'm like football literally to me looks like a bunch of men that collide, fall, and then they plan something like I can't get into it. So football ain't for me. I'm more of a World Cup girl outside of MMA. So when you said football earlier, were you talking about soccer? Or were you talking yeah. about? Yeah. Oh, see, and, and like, I, I totally appreciate the fact that you called it football like that right there did it for me. Last time I called it soccer, my mentions were full of Europeans that were like, you better get it right. So um, I try to respect their sport. And I've also been dragged in, in MMA football or MMA soccer in their world. So I respect their gangster, trust me. Yeah, it's definitely, they will come for you if you call it the wrong thing in a oh, space yeah. where they can all catch you. Oh yeah, it's happened to me. I actually, the only time that I've gone like legit viral is because they dragged me so bad that I was a sensation on the internet. They like made fun of my haircut and they screenshot my photo and they went viral. And it didn't bother me at all. It, it gave me a whole bunch of numbers and analytics. My analytics went through the roof and it was actually a really funny post, but I respect those people. They go hard. You were talking about that on uh, this week's show as well too. And that kind of makes me want to talk more about the podcast itself. Tell me about the WOCast. Like what 
how did you guys come up with it? Because I, I really, I appreciate the, it's a different, it's, it's, it's a different show to me to listen to because it's different voices. It's not the same two yeah. to three white men talking about MMA all, all the time. You guys are talking about it from a different lens. So tell me a little bit more about, um, about the Volcast and kind of what are you, what are some of your plans with it? What were some of your goals uh, and just how it kind of came to fruition? Talk to me about that. Um, well, like I, like I told you before, Michael is like the head of the, the, the team here. Like he is the guy at the top and he kind of drafted us one by one to be on this podcast. But originally it was like him and then he would interview guests. He pulled me in and now I do it weekly with him. And then later on we expanded because I don't know if you guys know this, but Kairos MMA is like a huge content creator and like a low key MMA Twitter star. And we love his takes. He makes us laugh. So me and Mike was like, yo, hit him up. Let's see if he'll do the show. He started with just like a weekly segment. And now he's like full on in a part of the Woe TV. You know, he's a part of us and he does the, the show every week. And he's a great addition. And Chisanga and I already met at UFC 244. So we already had a rapport. So we just all naturally came together. And then I looked up and I was like, wow, this is like a black podcast. I didn't, we didn't mean to, you know, it's just that we know each other and we're connected and we like each other's content and we got together. I looked up and I'm like, holy shit, I'm on a black MMA podcast, even though it was, it wasn't intentional to me, it wasn't intentional. So I think it's pretty cool. We're not all like-minded either. That's why we tend to argue in our midweek show, which I love. I, I cannot stand someone to have the same perspective as me. I want people to have different perspectives as me. And that's what the WOCast offers. And my favorite thing about the WOCast is that I can be myself with these men. And we can talk about those topics most shows don't want to talk about. You know, I was listening to a podcast this morning and they asked him about Platinum Princess. And his response literally was... Oh, I break down fights. I don't break down the drama that ensues outside of fighting. I respect that so much. But I remember being like, that person needs to listen to our show because we talk about the things that people don't want to break down. And, and that, again, that's why I love that show so much and the people that I talk to. What are some of the topics that have come out of the fight industry that other people haven't wanted to cover that you've covered on the Wilcast? Um, Black Lives Matter. Um, if, uh, for instance, when we had Macy Chiazon and Angela Hill on the show, we try to get their political standpoints, like where do you stand? And not just where do you stand, how do you feel about the UFC not really supporting Black Lives Matter, but at the same time bringing Trump, a divisive and, you know, a controversial president, full on into a fight and kind of like, you know, promoting themselves through such a divisive president? I like to ask questions like that, you know, so... I would say, you know, questions like that, uh, Macy Chiazon. We, we also talk about um, issues amongst women. Macy Chiazon and Angela uh, Laredo had some type of Twitter beef online, and it was about misogyny and, and the patriarchal system that we live in. And I wanted to, you know, divulge into that topic, and Macy allowed me to. I did reach out to Angela, and she did not respond. Excuse me, Valerie Laredo, and she did not respond. But I would have loved to get her take on the show because what I like about the WOCast is that if I bring Macy on and she talks about a Twitter beef, I want to give the person that she discussed in the beef, I want to give them a voice too. So it's unfortunate Valerie didn't hit us back up, but discussing issues with like in misogyny, um, homosexuality, homophobia, these are the things that the WOCast doesn't mind bringing up. 
And we also get silly, Raphael. Don't 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 sleep on us. Like I did ask Angela Hill, like, what do you what do you do the next day when you have fight injuries? And from there, she tells like a funny story how she's like, you know, sometimes me and my husband play it up in a grocery store, you know. So we also like to ask silly questions like that, too. Oh, that's pretty interesting. I, I, w- I would love to see how people would react to a couple walking through a grocery store after if one of them, one of them has been in a fight. I think that would be pretty interesting to yeah. see. And it's what you think, too, because it's like you would think that they're so used to having injuries and also people reacting that they start to joke around with it. You know, they're not like embarrassed or in shame. These are fighters. So what they do is like when someone at the grocery store is like looking at them as she hands them their change from the register, you play it off. You know, like you have jokes, you let them believe that you've been in a, in, in a fight, you know, in the street or domestic violence and you joke around with it, which I think is like what we the insight we need to know to make these fighters human. You know, and, and, and here's another thing, Raphael, when I get my hands on another interview, I want to know not only what do you do with the injuries afterwards, who's taking care of you? Like, what what is a fighter's wife like? What does she deal with that a fighter's that, you know, a, a bank teller's wife doesn't deal with? And do they feel guilty that after that, you know, a fighter pays all the bills of the house through this violent career and shows up after work all beat up. And here's the person that enjoys the fruit of their labor. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about your man paying all these bills, but yet he comes home beat up? These are the questions I like to ask, you know? How do they respond to some of those questions? And you mentioned earlier that they appreciate the questions that are different than, you know, how hard are you training, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Do they really enjoy opening up about their personal life, about their wives or about their husbands? Yes. I will, I will let you in on a little secret before we interview Michael is always like, okay, we are the podcast that will, you know, politely ask a lot of questions and they could even be personal. So before we even hit the record button, we always say, Hey, what is there? What is a topic that you don't want to discuss? Cause there are fighters that are like, man, I don't want to discuss politics or my wife or whatever. And let me tell you, when you say that to someone before an interview, you'd be quite surprised that the answer is, you can ask me anything. I have yet to have a fighter tell Michael and myself, oh, I don't discuss politics. I don't discuss this. No, fighters are, they are welcome to newer and fresher questions. When, when you tell a fighter, hey, we're going to ask things that most people don't ask and we just want to be respectful. Is there anything you don't want to talk about? You'd be surprised that fighters are like, nah, let's go, let's do it. And they get excited. You can hear it in their voice. So I think like going in the direction of asking questions that most people don't ask is where it's at right now. And I don't mind being the proponent of that on the WOCast with Michael, Chisanga, and Kairos. Good stuff, good stuff. There's a few more questions about MMA media and then we'll talk about something else. Yeah. Who are some of the individuals that you enjoy to read or listen to or, or just kind of engage with? Oh, and you're like, what other... My favorite analyst is Connor Rebush from Bloody Elbow. I'm a huge Bloody Elbow fan as far as like podcasts. Um, Connor Rebush is number one to me. He's, he's so technical. He's, almost, he's like a Luke Thomas, but without kind of getting on your nerves. Even though Luke Thomas does not get on my nerves, I understand why fans kind of are put off by him. And I feel like Connor Rebush is that guy that you can take out all the nuances that it um, bother you about Luke Thomas and get into Connor Rebush. And he's also a nice guy who responds on Twitter. I like Luke Thomas's breakdowns. He does not trigger me like the, like the way in which the community is triggered by him. I like um, Cookie from Bloody Elbow. I think she's 
awesome. And not only is she awesome, she knows what the fuck she's talking about. And I like that. I like amateur podcasts as well, which I, I consider mine as well. I'm not, you know, as amateur, like Bloody Elbow and other, like Luke Thomas to me are big time. What I'm doing is just for the fans and MMA Twitter. And those podcasts are pretty dope too, like Fighting With Myself podcast, Combat Rhino. There's a few like local cats that I get into as well. And they're just as good as some of these famous analysts. Like people don't realize the people on Twitter that you're adding, like you and other folks, are very capable of breaking down fights just like Luke Thomas. And a lot of people on MMA Twitter that break down fights also train. So you'll find a lot of gems on MMA Twitter. Don't sleep on people that don't have a blue mark, Raphael. Oh, you can't sleep on them at all because they'll, no. they'll put you in your place real quick. Oh, I've been schooled. I'm learning from MMA Twitter. I've, I've learned more from them than actually Luke Thomas because Luke Thomas is so famous, he, he doesn't necessarily respond to you. But when you go to somebody like you know, Juice from Fighting With Myself podcast, who can break down fights to a T just like Luke. He responds and engages you and you learn from him. And there's plenty of people like that on MMA Twitter. Um, Ashley MMA, she's dope. There are so many split decision podcasts. I can keep going. The amateur podcast hold me down. Your podcast, I was listening to it today, you know, on YouTube. Loved it, by the way. I listened to the latest episode. Good you. job. Yes, Thank I subscribed, and I'm going to keep listening. These are the people that I'm learning from. It's not always Luke Thomas, bro. Good stuff, good stuff. Let me ask you one last question about the MMA. Or actually, I got two more, and then we're going to talk care. about something Ask else. whatever you like. Yep. What is the most ridiculous MMA Twitter beef you've seen, not been involved in, but just sat and watched and just like ate your, ate your chips, drank your tea as it, as it went on? What's the most ridiculous one you've seen? Because there's been some that have been They're absolutely nuts. hilarious. They're nuts. Yeah. You know what I ignore? I ignore fantasy matchups. I ignore Connor versus Henry Cejudo. I ignore um, just like fights that'll never happen and fights that are ridiculous. And they tend to involve Connor. Everybody wants to put Connor against like DJ, people that he would never fight, by the way. And I ignore those. I also ignore ridiculous takes. I saw someone once say that Daniel Cormier was overrated. When I tell you I ignored that person so fucking quickly, it was ridiculous. Like, um, just, just, just ridiculous things. And I also ignore hype trains. I try not to fall in love with fighters the way in which MMA Twitter does. For example, Johnny Walker. I refuse to jump on that bandwagon, even though he was smoking everybody in front of him. And also, I'm going to do the same with uh, Shimaev. I'll wait until he gets some more competition before I declare him a god. And I, I ignore those things so much. And of course, I ignore like the homophobia, the stuff. Like, I try to. But the most ridiculous shit to me has to be the stupid-ass fantasy matchups. Raphael, I'm curious. What do you ignore? I know you ignore stuff. What do I ignore? I tend, I try to ignore the, like the hot takes on women's like, up, up appearances. When yeah. Amanda Rebus fought a couple months ago, or like, what was that last month? It feels like it was a couple months ago, but it was like last month. Mm -hmm. The way people flocked to her because of the way she looked immediately. Like, I had no idea what she looked like or who she was before she came right. in, into the fight. But the minute I saw her, I'm like, I see why the UFC booked her in this fight, and I see why people responded to her, or, or the males in, on MMA Twitter, the mm -hmm. way they responded to her. I see why they did, because it's so typical. You see the same thing with like a Valerie Lareda, the way people respond to her, yeah. or so many other of, of women who 
the guys. There, there was an interesting piece that I think John Nash did in Bloody Elbow about the MMA through the male gaze. And it was amazing hearing women talk about you. the way they know guys look at them in their in their sport. Mm-hmm. And it was mind-blowing. Angela Hill was a part of that. Um, she was interviewed yep. for that piece as well, too. That is probably the biggest thing I ignore because it, it gets it gets out of hand. And it it impacts the way both Bellator and, and the UFC promote their fighters, the way they book them. And it's almost unfortunate that you have someone like a Liz Carmouche who can get cut when she's winning four out of five fights for no reason other than the fact that she keeps beating people and nobody wants to fight her. But they can keep someone like a... Paige Van, Paige Van Zant on who was on for an extended period of time because they wanted her to be they wanted her to be that all American girl next door mm-hmm. and unfortunately her skills didn't match up to that. Yeah, and that is so funny you bring that up. That was something we discussed again on the Wolcast, and I love talking to Macy Chiazon about that. Why? Because she is um, her appearance is male. Um, what's it called? Presenting, meaning she is a lesbian that is a bit more aggressive in appearance and not really in a traditional, she doesn't look like a traditional feminine type of look, if you understand what I'm trying mm-hmm. to be as respectful as possible. And it was sure. great to, to, to dig into her brain about that because when you present yourself as a male in MMA and people assume that you're gay, people can look at you differently through a lens. They can automatically be like, this person is not marketable and goes towards Valerie Laredo instead. You know, and it's very interesting to get into someone's brain about that. Like, how does that make you feel? Does that motivate you or does that turn you into a hater of women that tend to sexualize themselves? And for the record, I don't mind when women sexualize themselves and try to make a buck or they introduce like some a little bit of sexiness into MMA. I just hate when that kind of takes over why I'm watching you in the first motherfucking place, which is fighting. You know, there needs to be balance. And also, if you want to make a buck from it, I, I don't mind like the only fans. And I appreciate the fighters that take that stuff, like they build it online and then they take it and put it on only fans. I think that's really respectful because some of us just don't want to see that. Like, I don't I'm not I'm not really it does nothing for me when Valerie dances all sexy in her hand wraps. But I respect the game, you know, listen, I'll say this. Who was it? Was it Ruby Rose or somebody like that? I don't even know who that is, but I mm-hmm. saw a couple of weeks ago that she made six figures in two days on OnlyFans posting the same stuff she posts on IG. Yeah, can you I, tell I, me? I, I look at that and I'm like, yo, I, I, I think I'm in the wrong business. When Thank you. you like, like that. After a while, you just like, you stop judging and it's like, it's hard out here. Get that money. And then you took it and you made it private. People got to pay and it's like your own little private corner to make money make that money. I don't care. You know what you I mean? Like the hustle. You can't right, like, hustle at all. Paige Van Zandt's posting of her husband naked in the kitchen. I can't front. I used to be like, girl, I don't want to see this. Like I literally watched Paige Van Zandt for that switch kick she did against Beck Rawlings. That's why I watch her. You know, I don't watch her for Dancing with the Stars. I don't watch her because she got a breast, you know, augmentation and now they're bigger. I don't care. I watch that girl because she's a decent fighter. So when I saw that she was going in another direction with promoting herself with her husband in the kitchen, I didn't care for it. So if she was to take that to OnlyFans and make it private, I would support that. Like, I'm not knocking the fact that Paige Van Sant is doing whatever she wants to do on the side. Let these people pay the bills. We live in the United States, for Christ's sake. You know how expensive it is here? My God. Let these people live, Raphael, you know? Did you see she's supposed to be going over to bare knuckle? I, I let me tell you something, Raphael. I don't believe it. 
You I don't? don't no. I hope it's I hope it's not true. I hope she's Me using too. that as like a way to leverage someone. Yeah. Because I don't I can't stand bare knuckle as it is. Child, don't get me started. I cannot stand bare knuckle. And here's the funny thing about bare knuckle. It's not because it's bare knuckle. I love fighting and violence. I don't care that it's bare knuckle. I think that's a very interesting facet. And I think it's like the OG of fighting. That's how people fought back in the day. So if we want to bring that back and kind of, you know, do that, I have no problem with it. The problem is the talent pool. They literally have people that I think fight in Denny's or like do home garage workouts fighting. I saw a lady wearing a very politically divisive shirt that was like, Hillary's a bitch or so. I was like, this is nuts. These people are creatures. Like, why are we watching? I don't like low level fighting. Remember I mentioned in tough that I find a lot of tough fights amateur. I don't like that. I like technical fights or like a beautiful brawl or a nice grappling match. But what I like is people that are really good at fighting. So I do not care for that. It's just, it, it frustrates me, but what can you do? What can you do? Yeah. Uh, there are a couple other questions I want to ask you outside of MMA. So mm-hmm. as we sit here in month number four, going into month number five of lockdown 2020, how have you been staying sane outside of watching MMA? Oh, please. Um, that is so funny you ask. I cannot take it that the gyms are closed. Um, before COVID-19, I live an active lifestyle. It's just who I am. I work out in the gym four times you know, probably four to five times a week. I've been doing that for years. I just don't look it because I eat bad. Like I'm the person that goes to work out and then orders a pizza when they get home. So like, you know, I'm in great shape, but I don't eat right. So it doesn't look it. So to keep my mind occupied, I'm spending a shit ton of money and turning the front portion of my home into a gym. It looks crazy, but I just got a heavy bag. Um, My speed bag is on the way. I have weights. I have a, a, a bench to do some chest presses. I got more stuff coming and I'm going to turn my home into a homemade gym because I just cannot take it no more. And it's going to keep me sane. And I love it. Where have you been ordering your stuff and how are you avoiding all these people that's doing like the price gouging on weight equipment? Oh boy. What a, what a good question. Um, I'm probably not avoiding the price gouging. China right now is holding down my gym, unfortunately, (laughs) because I'm not the only person that was like, I'm going to turn my home into a gym. Apparently a lot of Americans are doing this. So when you go to Target, um, Dick's, Models, and the normal places, and you go into their home fitness aisle, it is now empty because of COVID. So you are forced to go online to Amazon and outside sellers. And most of them are from China. So unfortunately, I'm getting a lot of stuff from China. And it also takes so long to get here. Like two days ago, I ordered like a speed bag that I'm going to have to install. It'll probably get here in a month and a half. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like It's nuts. But China it is. And it's coming along nicely. I had a workout this morning in my home. And I'm I'm loving it. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because as soon as the gyms around here started closing, I spent probably about $600 just just that weekend alone. Yeah. Trying, trying to buy stuff. So I know about that struggle. Yeah. And I was, before COVID hit, I was getting a little bored with weightlifting. I'm a weightlifter, you know, like in the gym, but I'm not like, I don't look it, like I said, and I, I, I'm not a bodybuilder, but I love um, circuit training and weight training and I do it pretty consistently, but I had grown bored of it, Raphael. So what I started to do was I started gym shopping for Muay Thai and um, BJJ. Like I was going to you know, I was going to upgrade my gym and COVID hit and I had to stop because, you know, of course, we can't grapple right now with with um, a virus. 
you know, a lot of us can't even really do go back to work in New York. So when this lets up, I'm going to continue with my home workout, but I'll probably upgrade my gym and try to find some type of martial arts academy. And I went to Thailand last year and trained in Thailand. So what I, my goal, Raphael, is to train in New York for like a full on year and then go back to Ritachi Gym in Thailand and show my trainer, like, look, I've been working, yo, like I'm better. So that is like ultimately my goal after COVID. I can appreciate that. I, I really respect that goal. And after COVID, other than, other than the gym, once things open back up, where's the first place you're going? You live in New York. There's a lot of, there's a lot to do, a lot to see. What's the first place you're going back to when it's, when, when it's quote unquote safe? Don't laugh. I'm going to the gym. Like straight up, like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to train in a martial art cause I've done it on and off for years, but never consistently. So I'm not someone that looks like I've been training in it, but it's like, I'm just never consistent. And it's also expensive. I live in an expensive city. So to pay $200 a month for a very risky gym is, is that doesn't sound like a lot to probably some of your listeners, but in New York it is, I mean, rent here is so high, but I'm telling you, when we go back to normal, I'm going to be in a gi and also with a Muay Thai instructor. That is the first thing I'm going to do is go right back to training and, and grappling and, and kick so that I can impress my trainer, Pai, at Ritachi Gym. So first thing I'm doing, bro. I, all right, well, look for any, any recommendations. Check out um, Unity in New York. They have a good, they have a, they have a damn Oh, they're on my there. list. Yep. They have they're a good, yeah, they're like if I was there, that's definitely where I would, I would yep. go back to. I have a whole so, list and I'm going to shop around and, and drop in and do classes until I figure out which one is the best. Because it's like looking for a home, Raphael, when you're looking for a dojo or a gym. You have to find a gym that suits you, not just the price, you know? Yeah, that's definitely true. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Let's, um, I want to go ahead and start closing out. And I want you to have an opportunity to tell everybody where they can find you and your content if you're interested in listening to more you have to say. Yeah. So guys, I am just a a little podcaster that has a big old mouth on Twitter and you can find me at G spot MMA. I always say it like that and it makes people uncomfortable. Um, (laughs) it's G it's literally G spot MMA, you know, on Twitter. And also you can find us on all the podcast outlets and it's called the Wocast and we record twice a week. We have a Monday episode, which is me and Mike. And on Wednesday we have the whole team, And Monday is a cool episode because we break down the fights from Saturday and do listener questions. And me and Mike vibe so well. And then come Wednesday, we all fight with each other on Wednesday and crack jokes. So that's like a different vibe than the Monday show. But I implore everybody to listen. If you like podcasts that kind of talk about stuff that includes fighting, but also a little controversy, politics, and also more insight on fight culture. So if you're into fight culture, and like, if you're nosy, if you want to know, like, what does, you know, like, are there groupies in the U.S.? I asked Macy Chiesa and I was like, yo, you fucking, are there groupies? Like, are women throwing their panties at you? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I'm the person that's going to ask the fighter that question. And if you're into those quirky types of questions, me and Mike, Chisanga and Kairos, we're, we're the type of uh, podcast you need to listen to. You can't drop that and not say what her answer was, though. She, I hope she said yes, right? Listen, let me tell you something. Macy, I love you, but Macy was like, oh, no, you know, I'm not that famous. And I'm like, does Macy have a boo who's listening to the show? You know, you know, I'm, I'm always making trouble. I'm like, mm, I wonder if her boo is listening and this Dang. is the politically correct answer. But shout out to Macy. She, she um, 
And again, that's why you ask fighters, can is it oh, is there anything you don't want to talk about? Because that can I have no problem being like, yo, y'all be fucking after the fight. Like, I know women, you know that there's groupies in every sport and even in music. So it's like, what are the fighters doing when the fight's over? Y'all running around being nasty. And I'll, you know, I'll ask that. So like I said, Raphael, if you're looking for that silliness, quirkiness, and 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 questions that are just not the typical, what what got you into fighting? Listen to our show. Listen, the, I I have two stories that I that are definitely off air stories about after parties or parties with yeah. fighters, and yeah. they're, the answer to that question is yes, all of oh, all yeah. of the yes. And so, here's um, and I'm also Raphael. I don't mean to cut you off, but no, like, good, if good. fighters don't want to talk about that too, I'm also not like a skank. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not like looking for controversy. It's whatever they want to ask. And if somebody's like, "Oh, I can't answer that," guess what? I don't reframe the question to manipulate them into asking it. Do you do you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm a I'm a good person. If you don't want to ask about groupies, or if you don't want to talk about certain things, or if you don't want to talk about Black Lives Matter or Dana White, we also respect that too. So it's, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty nice vibe. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, G, I appreciate you. Uh, thank you for talking to me for this past hour. I am looking forward to letting people listen to this episode, getting their feedback, laughing at you, wait. and yeah. hopping over to the, the interact with you online. But um, thank you for your time today. And thank you so much for having me. And, and anytime you need support, you need someone on the show, or if you need someone to kick it with and talk to MMA, you hit me up. No hesitation. I will definitely do so. Yes, sir. Have a uh, have a good night. Enjoy your weekend, and I appreciate your time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still here. I don't know. How, I didn't want to.